guys. I am Sir Ken, and you are watching Verse TV. Make sure to comment, like, share, and subscribe. It is week 105. What's up, what's up, what's up, everybody? If you hear my voice, you know what that means. You're now tuning into all the tea right here on Verse TV with your boy, what? Troy Weeks Music. And in the building today, we have a very special guest, my friend, Sir Ken. So what's up to the people, Keith? Um, what's going on, everybody? What's going uh -huh. on, everybody? How y'all feeling today? That's right, that's right, that's right. We're in the building, y'all, and we got to get to it right here one-on-one -on -one with my boy. You know what I'm saying? Like, we, It's time to get digging a little deep. So let's do this. So for our audience out there who may not yet know um, where you're from, let the people know where you're from and just tell us a little bit about your origin story. All right. Well, I like to tell people that I'm from Atlanta, but I'm basically from everywhere. Um, I'm not a military <laughs> baby, but I am a veteran of the Army. So uh, Atlanta is the place I call home because I've been here the longest. I've been here since 2004, but I was born and grew up in a very, very small town called Statesboro, Georgia. Um, a lot of people have no idea where that is, but if you're familiar <laughs> with the college, Georgia Southern University, that is in Statesboro, Georgia. It's about 30 miles away from Savannah. So um about 16 years old, I got emancipated and I joined the military at 17. And I left to go to Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, where I was stationed. And then I pretty much moved to Atlanta shortly after I finished my, my training and my school. And I've been here ever since. All right, you've been there ever since. You planted your feet, your roots and everything, okay? Yes, um, yes. So, <laughs> so how has, you know, your origin and story and, and your background influenced your work? Um, for one, in my independency, um, you know, I grew up as the only child. I had a single Black, hardworking mother. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I, I think watching her as I was growing up, watching her do the work that she did for her part as a mother, but also the part of an absent father, that is something that molded me as far as growing up and being independent and knowing that mm -hmm. I don't really need anyone to rely on to accomplish the things that are needed to be accomplished. And so I've always embedded that at the forefront of my brain with everything I do, anything I want to mm -hmm. do, I always put in my mind that you are the only person that's doing this. So failure is not an option, but a plan B, C, and D is. And so that's just pretty much something that's been the, the like I said, the forefront and a, a guideline for me and everything I do. And, you know, it's all because of her. Amen to that. I'm Listen here, you started out ready to roll. You put that <laughs> in your head, you said this is what it's going to be. I think that there's yes. a lot of people who need to put their roots and understand that. You, you definitely can do anything you want to do if you put your mind to it. Amen. You don't need to depend on anybody else. And so to yeah. come from a single parent home and to hear your, you know, you tell that story, it's amazing. So I'm hoping yes. people are listening to someone touched by that and can, you know, maybe if they haven't heard it, you get it in their head and maybe motivate them to, you know, get to it. Yes, uh, absolutely. So in, re in recent, um, in recent previous generations, what are your family roots? Because you know, you look a little, I look a little, you know, mixed. Uh, people. What, are your, what are your family roots? <laughs> oh my God, I get that a lot. I actually got that last night. And I'm just like, I honestly, I don't know what it is that people see that ask me that, but my my father and side, his side of family were from the Maldives of India. And um, my mom is just straight up good old country soul, space bro, <laughs> Georgia, black woman. So yeah, that's pretty much it. That's all I have inside of me, Indian and black. Come on now. 
Come on now. <laughs> all that special sauce. And that all the special sauce to go with it. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, so from urban fashion designer to host on WTT radio to Swanky Paws Concierge to Love and Husband for Call. Sir Kent, you're doing it all. And you're doing it all right. Thank so you, when it comes you. to the fashion, let's start with, of course, you're welcome. Listen, you, you pop a lot of, a lot of uh, relationship goals out here. You know, people are those hashtag goals. You know what I'm saying? Oh, hashtag God. Goals. Please don't say that because that adds the stress. That adds the stress. I'm nobody's goal. Please, I'm my own. That's it. <laughs> I, I, totally, I totally understand. I definitely asked the question. Um, so let's start with your fashion. Your, your personal fashions are always super dope. And though your fashion brand, and through your fashion brand, you started sharing you know, fashions with the world. So can you give us some sip of all the tea on your journey to the world of being a fashion designer? Yes, okay, so growing up, all right, I think I, if I can start from the very beginning. Uh, Listen, give us the tea. Okay, so growing up, like I said, I was in a small town, Statesboro, Georgia, and um, it's pretty much a white city. Um, and mm -hmm. so, um, like I said, I had a single mother, but it was just something about always wanting to feel equal or if not better than those white kids that I grew up with. And so those white kids, they were like brands like Abercrombie and Fitch and American Eagle that at the time back then was like, okay, it's an up and coming brand right. and like you, you got it. Um, but I, I'll never forget, I went into the store called Belk. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Belk. I know about Belk, yes. Belk, <laughs> if, about you, if you can go into Belk at the time that I was a kid and you could get something out of Belk, you was like, you got money. So I never forget <laughs> my mom, she opened up a Belk credit card and um, I got like Tommy Hilfiger, Ralph Lauren. And at the time, I knew nothing about those designers, but it was about the way that they had their designs and their clothes that captured my interest. And I got them. And I wore them to school. And I mean, it was the adults, the teachers, the coaches, the principals that were all at what I was wearing more so than the kids. And it was just something about that, that, that reaction, the way they gravitated towards me that became, I wouldn't say an addiction, but it became an expectation of every day when I went to school. And, you know, as I got older, I just, I was like, what is this? This is, this is fashion. I realized what it was. It was fashion. It's style. That's what they're liking about me and how I'm wearing it. And so from that point on, I just started, you know, growing into myself, learning my whole identity and making it work for me. And then as I got older and became an adult, um, I realized that a lot of clothes that I like to wear, they didn't fit me the way I, I like to be fit. And mm -hmm. it was basically because I was really skinny when I was like 18 to like 23, I was really skinny. Uh -huh. So I would go and buy clothes, but they would always not fit me the way they fit everybody else. And like some of the guys, of course, were the muscular, so it fit better. Um, a lot of the other guys were kind of thicker, so it fit them better. And I was just skin and bone. So it pretty much looked like the clothes were hanging on a, a, a hanger. So um, <laughs> I, I went to this mall plaza one day, and um, I'll never forget his name was Esteval. He was a tailor a huge tailor to the stars in Atlanta. And I asked him to um, alter my blazer. And he did that. And what I learned at the time was, you know, it was basically reconstructing what was created. And I learned in the fashion world that you can actually do that now. And a lot of celebrities that you guys watch, like Cardi B, where they have like certain Louis Vuitton um, leotards that Louis Vuitton didn't make, it's reconstructed. 
So when I found out that I could do that and tailor the clothes to fit my body, that's when I really, really desired this love of fashion. And that's what started me on my first um, formal wear line because tuxedos was what I loved to wear. So I would wear tuxedos with Chuck Taylor's in a t-shirt every single day. And then that, a couple of years into doing that and people started seeing me wearing my clothes, they started asking me, where are you getting your clothes from? Where did you go? I said, I made them. And I was like, oh, you got to make something for me. So then I started getting requests to make people suits for their birthdays, making custom tuxedo pants for like special events. Um, then I started, you know, Atlanta is uh, a melting pot of like, it's pretty much groups. So if you know one person in the industry and you hang with them, you kind of get familiar with other people in the industry. So I I met this one person which of whom I will not mention their name, um, but they were uh, in the entertainment industry and I met a lot of celebrities, I guess you call them celebrities, in the entertainment industry and I started working for them. And that led me to partnership, do a partnership with a woman um, and we opened up a boutique. And then I realized in her boutique, mm-hmm. she had like, she had like vintage clothes and I had um, formal wear. So it kind of clashed because my stuff was kind of like on the upper scale end and her stuff was like kind of cheap end. So what I did was I didn't put my formal wear things inside her store. Instead, I ended up creating my own urban streetwear clothing. And my stuff would sell like this. Music Soul Child was hands down one of the biggest clients. Like he literally would send his stylist in the store, not look at the clothes, just get his size and get everything. Almost every single time I would put stuff in there. So that's what started me to do my um, my urban streetwear line. And I think the thing that made mine so different is because I've always been accepting of everybody. Like I want everyone to feel loved. I want everyone to feel the way I did when I was a kid, when I got dressed. And so I made my clothes unisex. I made it unisex. And I wanted anybody that walked in the store, if they saw something they liked, they could wear it, whether you were, whether you identify as a man or a woman. So that's pretty much my, my back history of my clothing and how I fell into it. All thanks to my mom and her, Five thousand dollar belt car limit. So yeah. Shout out to Belt and Mom for the start of it all. Okay. Yeah. And went from that to all of that. Do you understand how life goes on when you have dreams and goals? Okay. So now let's talk about the BBB show. Um, um, Victor and Vanta with Kobe. Give us a little, you know, some tea on that. Okay, so the birth, my my radio show is called the BBC show, which stands for Baker and Banter. And we purposely well, so the, the name was always going to be Bicker and Banter with a Coleman, but it never dawned on us that the letters were BBC, BBC. which <laughs> can stand for a lot of things. And um, basically, my partner and I, um, we are, that's why I say I'm nobody's relationship ghost. I'm like my own ghost because one thing about me, if you really know me, I've never been a person to like fake the funk. I'm a straight shooter. I'm a Scorpio. I tell it how it is. And that's just it. So my partner and I, we we laugh all the time, but we also argue all the time. We fuss all the time. We laugh. We just really are just a regular couple. And um, I have a best friend that normally talks to me every day, you know, when he gets a chance in between his work break, just to check and see how everything's doing. And when he does that, it's normally a time where 
my partner and I are either fussing or laughing. So he said, God, all y'all do is just bicker and banter. And so that's how Bicker and Banter came about. But um, I've always wanted to have my own radio show, right? Mm-hmm. And when uh, we got our new home uh, during the pandemic, and uh, we, we, we met actually through karaoke. So we always wanted something to be in the house that reminded us of where we met and how we met. We love karaoke. So we set up our whole house like a, as a karaoke lounge. And I love music. I grew up on music. My mom, she was a, she wanted to be a DJ in college. So I don't know, maybe I'm just, something about her that's going through me, but I've always loved music and I've always wanted a radio show. And so he and I were talking about it one day and we were thinking about doing a podcast. And so we started doing researching on podcasts and stuff. Long story short, one day we had a housewarming and we had a guy to come over, which was a friend of his. Um, he owns uh, a few radio stations. And so um, I said, yeah, I said, Carl, my partner's name is Carl. I said, Carl and I were thinking about doing a podcast and I think we're gonna call it the Bicker and Banter Show. And he was like a podcast. He was like, what about, you think about a radio station, a radio show? I was like, well, how in the hell am I gonna do that? And he was like, hello, here's our own the radio station. And I was like, really? Cause you know, this is Atlanta. So a lot of right. people say they do a lot of things. Do a lot of things. Really is, yes, yes. But long story short, um, he actually does. And um, what he, he said, if you're really serious about it, he said, I'm gonna come back to you in about two months. He said, I want you to have your, um, I want you to have your outline, your plan. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Your, um, uh, anyway, he wanted me to have my outline. Like a rundown or like pretty much? Okay. Well, no, it's another word. It's called, um, uh, I can't think of it. I cannot think of it, but it's pretty much your outline of everything you want to do and how it's going to be done. Um, and you got to present it. And um, he sure enough reached back out about two months. I thought he forgot about me. And that my, I was like, this guy lied to me. But he hit me back up and he said, you ready to come to the show? And I was like, yeah. So I went and he and I did the show for about three weeks. I was on probation. So he wanted to see how I will interact, how will I actually know music? Because this mm-hmm. actual radio show, like I play music and I talk in between, we have commercials, it's all that. And so um, I was on probation about three weeks and then finally like the third week, he was like, you can do this. He said, you got this. <laughs> so he was like, welcome to the family. So that's how the Bicker and Banter show that changed to Bicker and Banter with A. Coleman, which turned into BBC. Um, I like to handle the fun, the um the explicit parts of the show and Carl he he likes to handle the um the more intellect he's very cerebral so he likes to handle the intellect side of the show where it comes with politics religion and science because that's all his background he um studied Africana studies um he was he's a theologian um Mm -hmm. he studied theology and he's huge on politics yeah he's very (laughs) huge on politics like he goes to sleep reading CNN. So that's how we, we just mix it all together. So we have sex, fun, pop culture, but also the seriousness of politics, things to bring people aware of the community, um, science, religion, all that in one show. So it's every Mondays from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. on WTT Radio on iHeart. Bam. 
you answered the whole last two questions on that part of it. Oh, I'm so sorry. That. No, that was All amazing. Right. See, I told you, you know, stand up, be yourself. That was amazing. Like the whole, yes, we love it all. Um, and, and the great thing about it is that it's a lot of people like because I do talk show and podcasts and I do radio and all these other things that I was trying to do music. People always like the same situation. People say, you know, I got an idea I want to do. So I'm like, look, you want to do this? I'll help you, but you got to want to do it now because I don't want to have to chase you to do your shit. Um, and so I'm just like, just like your um, friend did for you. I've done that for a couple other people and bought them on my radio show. So I feel like, listen, if you got it, you got it. If you want to do it, you do it. Not some other time we have the resources that we need around us. We just don't realize it. So look at you now. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Um, one of the top shows on our radio, y'all. Y'all got to check it out if you haven't already. Please do. Um, so you've been called a pet whisperer. <laughs> when yes. did you first realize your great connection to the pets and beyond on your own? Oh my God. Um, so I wanna I'm trying to figure out how I can answer this without saying too much. And by the way, I do talk a lot, so you gotta forgive me. You're a Scorpio me. like me, trust <laughs> me. I get it. Don't worry. I just Scorpio. Okay, yeah. We're gonna be real good. Okay. Um, so like I said, I grew up as the only child. So I I had cousins, but it was during those times where no one was ever around. You know, like I said, my mom screwed like four or five jobs. So I was always home by myself. So um, I've always had this fascination of animals. I don't know why, but I lived in the country. So of course, deer would walk in the back of our yard. Um, we would see rabbits. I used to go hunting with my uncles. We would go um, hunting for raccoons. We would go hunting deer. We would go hunting rabbits because we would eat all those things in the country. And well, uh, yes, food. yes, yes. And that was like the best food now because no hormones or anything. But anyway, no. um, I got my first dog. It was a mixed dog. And I think he, I don't know what kind of dog he was, but he was mixed. But I just fell in love with that dog because it was just the first time where I just really felt like, oh my God, this dog loves me. He wants to be around me. He wants to follow me everywhere I go. Like, I, can I, why can I get this in a human? But um, <laughs> that was my first love. And I love that dog so much. And then, of course, as I got older, you know, and the dog passed away. I got another one. And um, I just, I mean, that was my first break into animals, but it really didn't strike to me that that was my passion or what my passion was going to be. What really happened was when I joined the Army, um, I went to school to be a nuclear biochemistry instructor. Um, and I would test the fields for radiation, all that type of stuff. It's more chemical thing. And before I moved to Atlanta, I had got a job offer from the CDC headquarters, which is the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, the headquarters mm -hmm. where it's the big, like anything, any outbreak anywhere, they go to this place. And I got an offer to do disease research. And I was just like, okay. I never even heard of CDC. So I was telling my family that I got a job offer. They were like, oh, is the Center for Disease Control? I was like, yeah. So I, I got the job there and I kind of found out that they did the research on animals. So I was three levels underground and I worked in a huge laboratory. So what you see on TV about laboratories and stuff is really like that in CDC. So it's like thousands and thousands and thousands of mice, ferrets. I worked with prairie dogs. I worked with monkeys, we would call them macaques, the non-human primates. We had chimpanzees. Um, what else oh, wow. did we had? We had a whole, a whole bunch of animals, but those are, the primary ones. We had New Zealand rabbits. They're rabbits. They're so beautiful. They're pearly white and they're like 60 pounds. They're really big. And I I mean, 
they were beautiful. But um, that was my first break in interaction with animals. And I did that for about seven, seven or eight years. And um, I ended up leaving. And then I did uh, biomedical engineering research. And I worked with more animals, which were goats, lambs, um, cows, and uh, pigs. So I did that for a year. And then mm -hmm. after that contract was up, I moved into veterinary medicine. So I started doing surgeries and stuff with, veterinar uh, with veterinary veterinarians and I was working in veterinary medicine. And then I did ophthalmology for about six months where I primarily focused on just the eyes of the animals. So that is how my transition started. And I realized that animals was just gonna be a thing of my life. So what really broke in for me was about a few years ago, um, I was kind of bumping heads with this last doctor I worked with at a private practice. And she was, for lack of better words, she was a B-I-T-C. She was like really, really mean. She was a capital and, B, got it. Yeah, she was a capital <laughs> B. She was really mean. And, um, you know, it's true about what they say where if you're not happy when you're at work, you bring it home. And that's what I was beginning to do. I was starting to bring it home. And my partner was saying, this is not good for you. This is not healthy for you. He was like, you know, you need to figure out your exit plan and, you know, go from there. And I was just like, I don't have an exit plan. He was like, you need to quit that job. So I didn't think he was going to do it. But he actually wrote my separation letter and sent it to my boss. And I okay. didn't have a, yeah, so I didn't have a job. And I was like, um, are you going to be taking care of all these bills? And so he said, yeah. And he did it for about a month. And then I was just trying to figure out, like, what am I going to do? Am I going to go back to school? Like, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what my passion is. And so mm -hmm. while I was trying to figure out if I was going to go back to school, I got this um, part-time gig. I don't know if you guys heard of it. It's called Rover. Where I heard Rover. Yeah, it's like dog walking, for, right? but for dog. Exactly, exactly. So I started doing it part-time, but out of nowhere, I guess, I, I don't know. You have to get report cards with at the end of your dog walk. So because I talk a lot, I would give them more information about their pet than just a walk. And so these people started seeing how thorough their report cards, their report cards were from their dog walk. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm choking my spit. That <laughs> they would contact me and ask me more questions about their pet that didn't pertain, pertain to dog walking. So um, my best friend, the one I always called me every day, was like, Sir Ken, you should open your own business. He said, because I really think that pets are your thing. He was like, you know, people used to call you when you was working in veterinary medicine, asking you questions, and now the same thing is happening. He said, I know you probably didn't think this is your passion, but I think this is your passion. I think this is your calling. But I was like, I don't know if I can do this. Like, really? People going to spend money on their pets? He was like, yes. He said, trust me. That's their so, Okay. Yes, yes. So I, I, I took a leap of faith, and my partner had been there uh, the whole way. Like, he, he did all my paperwork. He got my LLC. Um, he did my trademarking. Um, and I launched my first 24-7 luxury pet concierge called Swanky Paws Concierge. Swanky Paws Concierge, right. Yes. <laughs> and I must say, it is the best decision I have ever made thus far in my life. These people 
really pay for their pet. And I love the fact that they call me, they text me, they inquire, and they trust me. And they feel confident about me. Like I have access to like 15 or more people homes every single day. And I mean, they pay good money for their pets. So I'm really happy because it doesn't even feel like I'm going to work. It feels like I'm just going to check in on my friends and I'm coming home with a check every day. So Come that's on. how Swanky, that's how Swanky Claws was birthed. And um, that's just how I realized that I'm the pet whisperer now because I realized that I knew more about pets that people, regular people didn't know. And I and it came from all of my experience and all of my knowledge and education, but I didn't realize mm -hmm. that it was that much. I didn't realize the amount of knowledge that I had about pets was mm -hmm. a lot compared to what other people didn't know. And I thought it was just like, well, I've been doing this forever, so this is how I know. But that's why they now call me the pet whisperer because I have been able to deal with some of the most difficult and aggressive dogs that when they get with me, the parents are like, what in the world? Like, he doesn't like anybody. It's the like, same dog. Yeah, it's just the same. And I've, I've done training for some people um, to show them how their dog can get out of being dog aggressive. I've dealt with one dog that was actually racist. And I've taught, yeah. So that is the thing. So I've, Dogs can yeah, be racist? Dogs can be what? racist. Yes, they can be racist. And so I've dealt with that and showing them how to break their dog out of that. Um, yeah, I, I, I've done it all. Like you can ask me any question. I've probably already done it with when it comes to pets. So yeah. That is amazing. And it makes so much sense when you think about, first of all, people walk dogs all the time to make money, right? But your mm -hmm. dog walker is a, a veterinarian with a, you know, they do this. Like that's a totally yes. different thing. And then when you put them together, like you yeah. got a dog doctor, the dog, what's, you know, like, come on, that is, I think that's why I get a lot of business because it's more so it's not just a dog walker that's coming to your house. It's like an actual veterinarian professional that's coming to your house because I don't just do dog walking. I do meal preps. I do massages. I do um, hygiene things for them, like sanitary trims and clips and anagram expressions. Um, I have two doctors that are on standby with me that if you didn't want to get up and go to a veterinarian facility, I bring the veterinarian to you and we can do an in-house exam or in-house treatments at your home. Um, so I do all of that. So it's not just dog walking and they love the fact that I'm like the one-stop shop and you can text me, you can call me any time of the day and get any type of service that you want. Listen, at the end of the day, like you said, from pet walk, meal prep, trips to the vet, and so much more. Actually, Aaron Mack wishes you would make a branch over there in uh, Cleveland so that, you know, he can, you know, utilize his services. We're trying to, we're trying to we work on franchising. Listen, it's coming. <laughs> Things are coming out. Just keep going because you, you, yeah. you don't hit a gym that a lot of people don't, you know, don't know about. So I feel like you're about to, you know, take over the market. Just, you already did what you need to do. You got the LLC, you got the trademark, all of that. You're already yeah. on the right track. Just keep going. Don't yeah. stop. Yeah. See, look, you got somebody already even waiting on you. You probably got about three friends. <laughs> so, you know, I'm just saying, you got a network of people all over the world that you already yeah. have access to. So you get ready to do that, I'm sure, you know, things will start pouring in. Uh, but I want to know something. I want to know what's the most heartwarming pet story that you experienced with Swanky Pod? You know, give us a little heart, heart, <clears throat> heart to heart. You're okay. dealing with aggressive dogs, all kind of craziness. 
the, the most, most heartwarming. Mm-hmm. The most heartwarming. The most heartwarming. We still probably the most heartwarming. Like when I think about it, <clears throat> into my throat. Um. <laughs> so, one of the things this actually is the person, the real reason of why I started my business. Um. There was a guy that I was working for in Rover, and he just always kept requesting me. And I was just like, why is this guy like, are you that lazy that you don't want to walk your own dog? I mean, he would request <laughs> me like an hour every single day. And I'm just like, why is this guy just requesting me so much? So he was one of the reasons why I was like, well, dang, if I'm going to rely on him this much and I got all these other people, you know, I should open my own business. But anyway, once I opened my own business, he started requesting me from no longer an hour but two hours and three hours every single day from Monday to Sunday. So I was devoting mm. twenty. I was devoting somewhere between twenty to twenty-five hours a week just for this one guy alone. And I kind of found out later why he was requesting me so much. He was a thirty-year-old um, guy that had developed a rare form of hip cancer, mm. and mm. his dog was his therapy dog. Um, there was no cure for his hip cancer, and because mm-hmm. of the hip, the, the the severity of the hip cancer, he was not able to walk his dog anymore. But he cared so much about his dog that he wanted to make sure that even though he was unable to do the things that they used to do together, he wanted to make sure that she was still getting that part of her life that he couldn't give, which was going for walks which was, mm-hmm. you know, doing fun things with her. So I uh-huh. literally, I literally became pretty much his, his butler for this dog. But because I had devoted so much time for his dog, I eventually became part of his family because he lived alone. And so I would have to go to his mailbox and get his mail for him. I would get food for him. Um, he had an upstairs, downstairs loft. So if he was upstairs, he couldn't walk downstairs. So I would get things that he needed from downstairs and bring to him. He would call me in the middle of the night to come over and help do things for him. So it went well beyond what my job is about. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I literally worked for this guy for like two years. And I made so much money from him to the point where I literally had to contact his parents um, and let them know, you know, hey, at this point, I want to do what I can out of my heart. I'm not looking for compensation anymore because I'm like, this clearly this guy needs me and needs you guys. So I don't want to charge y'all for my empathy. But his parents are filthy rich, which I didn't find out until later. So they were like, (sighs) don't worry about it. They were like, it's okay. We love you for even saying that. It says a lot about your integrity. So um, I took care of this dog for like a very long time. And as I was taking care of the dog, I was also losing him. His name was Adam. I was losing Adam because he was slowly losing his battle to cancer. And um, i never forget. It was like the last week I was taking care of his dog for him. And he's a game, a game freak. So after I finished taking care of the dog for him, I would sit there and play the um, the PlayStation with him, and we'll play video games, and we would just talk. 
and talk about life. And it was, you know, it literally was a huge reminder. We always said to each other how life is not promised tomorrow or life is short. But I, I think we know that and we say that, but we don't really feel it and know it until it really, really hits close to home. And sometimes when it hits close to home, it's too late because it's us that it hits. And um, right. we were playing a game one day. The next day, there was hospice coming to his house to uh, pretty much induce him into a coma so that he can get out of the pain that the hip cancer was causing because he had gone through chemo treatment so long that he was just tired of it. And mm. um, he, like I said, he was 30 years old. And imagine being 30 years old and the doctor's telling you that you're going to die at any moment. So he couldn't even live his, he couldn't even live Ooh, like his, he couldn't even live like it's his last because he couldn't even walk. 30 years old. And we were playing a game on a Friday and by Monday he was dead. And he didn't even know he was going to die. And so that's probably one of the most heartwarming things to me because um, he died literally. He, so the thing, he's very, very passionate about um, Black Lives Matter. He's a white guy. He was very passionate about Black Lives Matter, and he was uh, very aware of his privilege. And his parents, like I said, his parents were very wealthy. His parents were so wealthy that even when he would go see a doctor about his uh, treatments and chemo and stuff, the first thing that he would ask them is if they were a Republican or a Democrat. And if they were a Republican, they request another doctor. That was one thing. And then the other thing was, wow. he said, he asked that if, if the universe would grant him one thing, just please keep him alive to see that we get Trump out of office. And so he got to see Trump out of office, but he died literally a week after that. And so we celebrate his birthday in February. And um, I walked in and his dog was there. And they said that when I walked in the door, the dog jumped up and ran to me and like literally went crazy. And they said, this is so, they said, this is so weird. They was like, she was so down and so sleepy the whole day until she saw you. So that was probably like, I don't know. I guess it was just, for me, that was one of my, my probably my biggest heart. I never had anything like that. And I never had anyone to depend on me like that ever. So that was, that was the heart woman. Yeah. Oh my God. Uh, I'm like, why you do that to me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, it was, yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 I mean, yeah. my biggest fear was being 30 and having nothing to show for it. And so to amount, so imagine to be 30 and just trying to, I think I just want to make it to 30. Like, You're not 30 yet? So, How old are you? No, 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 me, no, no, I am. I'm 34. Uh, but my I'm thing was, 35. my biggest fear was being 30 and, and not having nothing to show for, for it. And his thing was me just making it to 30. So I'm just like, wow. Just making like, it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's something we all think of, making sure we have something to show for us at a certain age. When at the end of the day, all that matters is just you got to live and just live with a purpose, whatever it is. And don't worry about trying to get to what you think everybody thinks you should be. Just getting to what works for you and just living. Amen to that. I just I, like live on, live on purpose. Because so many every day. You know, yeah. that's why having a purpose is important. You got to live on purpose because that keeps mm -hmm. you vibrant and alive. So, with you and your husband, you raised, <clears throat> oh, excuse me. You and your husband, you raised one, uh, you raised one eye pit bull. 
Yes. Aaron Mack has a special plan in his heart for pit bulls. Special, special plan. Really? He feels that they, he, look at him over there. He feels that they get, a, <laughs> they get a bad rep. And in spite of the fact that they are, you know, wonderful dogs. Can you give us a little sip of all the tea on baby Saida? Saida? Sorry, I remember what yes. I said about it. <laughs> no, it's fine. Um, Saida was, so when I was working in veterinary, um, I worked at a 24-hour veterinary hospital. And uh, I would work the overnight shift. So overnight shift is normally when all the emergencies come through. For some reason, it's always around 2 or 3 a.m. where we have tons and tons of emergencies. And um, this particular emergency that I wasn't present for, there was a puppy that came in with their eyeball hanging out. And oh my God. so I had got to work the next day and I guess they pretty much gave the puppy like some pain treatment until they could figure out what they were gonna do. But I heard like this little thing just going, ew, 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 ew. And I'm like, what is that noise? And I happened to turn around and I looked and I looked behind me, there was a kennel and there was a little small pit bull puppy like this big with an eyeball hanging. I thought, oh my God, what is this ugly thing? That's what I said. But at the same token, like I have a heart. I don't know why this is weird. I don't know. I don't, I have a huge heart for like handicapped people, handicapped things. And I just love I don't know what it is. It's like, I just want to love so hard on everything. But um, I saw the puppy and I was like, oh my God. I was like, I got to have this puppy. And it was like, well, we're going to put her to sleep. I was like, no, no, no. Why? And it was like, because someone dropped her off. She was abused. And they were like, we don't, who's going to pay for the surgery? So the surgery is called an enucleation. And an enucleation is the removal of an eye. So it's the same thing with humans, same thing with pets. Um, so I end up paying for the nucleation. And um, I think she is the best gift that I have given myself. She is the most sweetest, the most docile, the most smartest. Like, I'm no lie. This dog is, she doesn't bark ever. Um, she just likes to walk around and chill and sleep. She has a huge pain, uh, pain tolerance. So, I mean, she's just all that. I'm not gonna lie, she's all that. That's my baby, I love her. But um, like, like you said, Aaron mentioned, pit bulls do get a bad rep. And I'm here to let everybody know that pit bulls are actually one of the most docile breed dogs there are. And they get a bad rep because most people get pits and breed them to be aggressive and to dogfight and to use as protection because they have a very muscular build. But if you don't, if you get a pit bull and you don't train that pit to be aggressive or to, you know, be a, a dog fighting dog, just natural, by natural instinct, that dog will be the most docile breed dog that you ever have. They are actually the most docile dogs. Mm, that's good to know because for me, I got attacked by football when I was 13. So for me, it's always been a thing of like, ah, you know, like, no, like I was afraid of dogs for a while after that. No dog. I don't, give a, I don't care, little dog, big dog, I don't care. But I have such a love for animals that I couldn't stay that way. But I still am very like on alert when I'm around like, you know, pit bulls and other dogs. But because I, I, I realized that when you show them love in a different kind of way, I realized that a lot of it has to do with how they're raised. And exactly. you know, one of my friends just got a uh, pit bull from a, um, 
a rescue pit bull. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, why do you rescue a dog that big? Like, everyone's a baby, yes. but it's still a big dog. Like, in my mind, because of what I've experienced, it's hard for me to be able to raise a dog that big because I know what I've been through. Not saying I can't have one, but being around them, I can still, you know, as long as somebody else is in the room or, you know, I still feel comfortable. I'm out. So it's giving me a different love for pit bull. So I, I get you on that. And you telling me that, I'm like, yes. Okay. They really are. I'm not even lying because I have one, but I promise (laughs) you, like, she's a super sweetheart. Everybody loves my dog. Like, she's so sweet. All right, now, if I get one rescue one, they just want to come help me because I'm going to be real scared. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And so, uh, what's the hardest part about being a multiple CEO creative entrepreneur? Because just being a one CEO is a lot. So, (laughs) what's it like being a multiple CEO? For me, organization, not organization, I'm sorry, or, being organized, I'm sorry. Being organized is the most mm-hmm. difficult thing for me. Um, I have ADHD. I self-diagnose myself <laughs> because <laughs> you know, he always says it, but I don't know. I don't think I do, but whatever. Um, being organized. Um, there are a lot of people like on social media that have businesses and you know you see them traveling and you know living like this lavish lifestyle and what I, I want to put this disclaimer out there to not get distracted by that if that's not where you are with your business because I promise you everything that looks like what you're seeing is really what it's not trust me and you want to do your business the legal and proper way a lot of these people that have businesses they're doing things under the rope and behind the scenes they're doing what we call scamming Mm. and the thing about it is they always start off by doing little small things around the corner to get ahead in the business and then it grows because their greed grows bigger and bigger and bigger so you see that oh my business got me this new car or my business got me this trip and it makes me feel like, well, dang, my business ain't making money like that. But it's not always about the money. These people use, like, CPNs. They're lying on these loans. You see all these people getting busted for these PPP loans? So it's all about being organized. If you be organized, then, you know, at your time, you'll get what's yours. But for me, being organized was the hardest task for me. and when it comes to numbers, because I have a business account and I have a financial advisor and you, every time that I get paid from my clients, I have to include that tax. So what I didn't know was in the first year, I was supposed to include that tax. So that whole one year, all the money I got from my clients, I never taxed them. So now guess who was responsible for making so whatever that total for that year was that I made, I had to pay that tax. So that was the hardest thing for me, being organized to make sure that each time I get paid, when I add the tax, I take that out and put it into a separate account so that I don't spend all the money that's included with what I made. So that at the end of the year, when it's time to do my taxes, I have the money money right here. Yeah. yeah. You better come on and speak speak to these people out here today. It's not you better come on speak to them. <laughs> it's not easy. It is not easy, I promise you. And I mean, you have so many things that you're responsible for updating. You have to update your registration. You have to 
um, your insurances, because you know it's a liability. If for me, if I hurt one of the pets or if the pets hurt me, so you have the insurance. Um, and then like I I have a boarding at my residence. Um, so I have to have the state approval for that. You got to get all that up to date. Um, it's just all organiz organizing, being organized is the toughest thing. And thank God I have Carl, <coughs> who's I call a nerd, that he organizes everything. And he's actually my registration agent. So mm -hmm. I've appointed him as that title. So he handles all my legal documents, all my paperwork, all that stuff. Him and my financial advisor. So I don't have to do anything. You better come on now. I have it all. <laughs> <laughs> at home, okay. So, uh, what's been the most enjoyable part of it all about being a CEO and all that you do with it? The most enjoyable part, which I love, is I get to get up whenever I want to. And I get to <laughs> my own schedule. Some days I go to work for thirty minutes. Some days I go to work for ten hours. Some days I go for an hour. Some days I go for twelve hours. So I get to make my own schedule. Um, but the only thing I don't like about that is I don't have a vacation time. Don't get no vacation mm. time. Cause who's gonna work for you? Why you're not here? So, because you are the you are the brand. Yeah. Yeah. So I have to um thankfully I was able to recruit an assistant. So when I do take a little time off, I'll um have her to go in to my clients and do the work for me. But for the most part. It's just me. I don't get no vacation time, but I love the fact that I get to make my own schedule. Come on, well, being a boss is at a cost, ain't it? Yeah, okay? it is. But you it make is. it look good, all right? Sitting over there in the office. <laughs> um, so what's the main thing that you want our first TV audience to learn about you, Sir Ken, today? Um, I honestly just want people to learn that, you know, if they happen to see me on social media or anywhere that I am who you see. And I'm very approachable because I've been told that um, people think that I'm not approachable when I'm out. I guess I have like this face or aura, but I'm probably you know, one of them. You got, the, you got that, I'm sitting face, <laughs> like what's up? I'm like, good. Yeah, I'm so, baby. so not that. I'm so not that. I'm probably one of the most friendliest people you ever meet. I'm very, very shy. I'm very socially awkward. I'm like probably the most socially awkward person you could ever meet um <laughs> no i'm so serious and um i honestly i just love to have fun i love to love i love to have fun um there are a lot of people that say they don't have drama or they don't like drama but don't be the ones that have a whole bunch of drama but okay. i can honestly say that i don't like drama and i don't have drama and anybody that knows me know that i'm drama free and i love it and it is possible to be drama free you got to yeah, right. the right people. It's, it's all about your surroundings. You set yourself around. Yeah. That's so true. And that's that's so tell that's people. I want people to know that. So what is next for you, Sir Ken? Because you know, you you just you know, keeping going. Maybe maybe for your What's next for you? Talk to me. Well, <laughs> we are currently working on something. It was actually a, an idea that I was thinking about one episode on the radio show, but it's an idea that I'm working on because with my radio show, we do talk about sex. And one thing I love about my show that has started to happen is, although it's targeted towards the LGBTQ community, I open, I, I welcome everyone into my show. And as of lately, I've been getting more heterosexual listeners. 
than the uh -huh. LGBTQ. And so we talk about sex. And one of the particular topics we talked about was pegging, which I never knew existed. I never knew that. Yeah. <laughs> I found out recently about it. I was like, what is that? But yeah, yeah. I definitely didn't know that. <laughs> I was like, oh, so y'all just put a name on something that we've been doing our whole lives. <laughs> but anyway, I won't go into details of that um, here. But uh, for those that don't know, look up the word pegging. But basically, um, we, I had a lot of heterosexual callers that night. And I had a lot of heterosexual men. I mean, a lot of heterosexual women and a lot of heterosexual men that were calling in. And it was surprising to me because they were Black heterosexual men. And I love that. I love that these, these were Black men that were comfortable in their sexuality, that were confident and acknowledging that they are still heterosexual, but they like to play and experiment with their wives and their girlfriends in the bedroom. And they don't feel like they should have to change the label of their sexuality because they enjoy certain things. And that's what it's all about. It's not about doing something outside of the norms for a man and woman to have sex. The, and I tell people all the time, there's only one thing that can make one gay, and that is to have sex with the same sex. That's it. You and your wife, your girlfriend can do anything. As long as there's not another man being involved or another woman on her end, you mm -hmm. guys are not gay. And so that was the catapult for me uh, working on my next business venture, which is I'm working on a all-male sex toy line. So for straight yeah. and gay, for everybody. For straight all and gay, it's for all everybody, men. yeah. Yeah, because it's very but, taboo. It's very taboo. And I noticed that in the Black community, it's so un we're so uncomfortable about it. So I want to present it and make it in a way where we, we get out of that habit and we start to experiment sexually and get into it. I mean, who wants to just have boring missionary <laughs> sex all the time? Hello. Like, There's so many positions, no. so many ways, so many things you can do. And I think you better help the men out. I'll yeah, I'm going to help, help, help y'all out. Y'all out. Well, all right. We're going to be on the lookout for that because, you know, it's going to happen whether we got toys or not. But see if it exists, <laughs> right. a little bit more. All right, now. But about to turn some people from my average dude to that dude. Got it. Right, Let's do right. it. So <laughs> with this last part of our um, interview, we know, you know, we ask everybody these questions. These are all the key questions. So the first question is this. If you had all the money power necessary, how, what would you do or change that you feel will be most beneficial for the LGBTQ community? Honestly, I would create more safe houses. Um, okay. I mean... I thank God that I've never had to live that type of life, but I can only imagine what it would be like to feel like you don't fit in and to finally come with the grips that you're gay and not have your family to accept that and to love you and kick you out on the street. I just never thought about families going to that extreme. I've never thought that I really didn't. I said, no, 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 no. People don't get kicked out for being gay. It, it can't be. And I just can't fathom a parent doing that to their own child. And when I look at the rates, because I do a lot of community service and um, I do a lot of I do a lot of active community work in, in my community and a lot of other places. I've even traveled out of town to do community work. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. the rate of homelessness and teenagers 
in Atlanta is ridiculous. And these, we have like a few places, but they lack the funding to provide everything that these teenagers need. Um, And so now with the pandemic had happened, um, people losing their jobs and these places relied on the income of others to make these contributions, these financial contributions to stay open, Mm -hmm. to remain a safe haven for these teenagers that are homeless because they don't have anywhere to go. And they lose that funding. And now it's like, they have to decide what can they do to keep these kids off the street. So if I had lots of money, I would definitely create safe houses for all these areas, all these communities of the homeless teenagers, but just also um, homeless people in general. It's, it's, it's not, I, I wish I could get all the homeless people off the street and get and create for a way for them to create a, a second chance for themselves. Um, people always think that homeless people just come from drugs, drug addiction, or just being lazy, but you don't know each person have their own story. And the fact that the matter is nobody deserves to be homeless. And that's just it. That's true. Mm, that was really good. Um, so number two is this. I'll start with the quote and then I'll give you the answer. The quote says this. Ask not where I live or what I like to eat or how I comb my hair, but ask me, what am I living for in detail? Ask me, what do I think is keeping me from living fully for the thing that I want to live for? And that's a quote by Thomas More. So the question is this. What is your goal in life and what is slowing you down from achieving that goal? Um, my goal in life is honestly to make an impact on the people that live in fear from making an impact themselves. And um, the thing that's probably holding me back a little bit is, like I said, fear. Um, I think it's more so fear of the challenges that I know will come. Because I know that whenever you do the great and the good work yourself comes the challenges of haters and the challenges from people that are intimidated by your presence. And I find myself breaking out of that fear, especially considering I do have a partner that supports any and everything that I want to do. And, you know, I've, I, I, we had a discussion where I feel like the biggest change that we as a black community, as an LGBT community, in order to make that, we're gonna have to start risking our lives. And I think that's one of my biggest fears is that I feel like the biggest impact that I could possibly probably make, it may require me to risk my life, but I have to come to that that, uh, realization that I may have to risk my life to get the change and I'm willing to do that, but it's just like, do I, can I do it without doing it? But you know, sometimes you can't do that. Sometimes you can't do that. You may have to go to jail. I mean, our ancestors risked their lives. They got beaten, they got hosed down, they got put in jail, they got murdered. And so I feel like a lot of times, like we don't want to do that. We don't want to put ourselves in that way. And I feel like, you know, that's what my, 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 my goal is. I, I want to make the biggest impact that I can to help our people, black people. And I don't say people of color, I say black people because people of color are not included in this. I'm talking about black 
people because we are the people that hurt the most. Mm -hmm. We have trauma from hundreds of years. People of color have not had this type of trauma for hundreds of years. People of color are just now getting this trauma just years ago. You know what I'm saying? So I'm for all people. Don't get that wrong. But right now, my focus is on Black lives right now. And Got it. I'm going to do what I need to do to make sure that I help and make an impact, even if it means risking my life. So, yeah, that's it. All right, now. I love it. Loving it. I'm loving it. So this question is always the most important to us here at First TV with all the team. What is your deepest tea? <laughs> something that you've never shared on social media before, but of course, something that you are willing to share with us. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> that one is now wasn't prepared for that one. Um <laughs> my deepest tea. What if and if, like what like give me a category of what it has to be about? I mean it's not really a, a category. It's more about like, you know, sometimes people don't they think they know us and they don't. Like, there's certain things, you know, look, there's always some little things that you don't really talk about, but you know, like, you know, you got special talents or you got some special, you know, that's something that, you know, happened in your life. You had sex with a celebrity, maybe. On the, like, I don't know. It could be your, your deepest deep. You know, everybody's life is different, you know. But, okay. Um, I got I got something because I talked about this last night because I don't really, I'm very private. <laughs> but um, last night, I did mention to two of my girlfriends that I was with that I am also in the process of writing a tell-all book. And in this tell-all book, I'm not going to blatantly expose, but I'm going to talk about the celebrities that I have dated and slept with. And when I was when I was younger and I was stupid but these these celebrities were actually married some were married some had baby mamas with kids but two of them were rappers um and yeah so i i'm gonna have that yeah, but I was gonna see this book, okay yes see, my, my partner my partner knows one of them but he doesn't he wants to know he's trying to figure it out he's trying to cipher it down but i i never want people to kiss and tell but I'm, I'm gonna tell in this book. I'm gonna tell in this book. So he's gonna have to read the book. <laughs> I'm definitely gonna tell in this book, and it's not to out anybody. It's not to get anybody in trouble. Like I said, I'm not gonna mention their names, but these clues would definitely get you this close and figuring out who it is. But um, Ooh, yeah, yeah. All right, now that was some, that was some hot typing to you. Okay, we're gonna be looking forward to that. <laughs> yes, and so. Uh, two more quick questions, then we're done. I know it's been like, you know, it's been a time. Um, we've definitely been enjoying it. Um, what are, what's your biggest stumbling block that you've encountered on your path up and how did you overcome it? Well, thus far, because, you know, still on your way up. Repeat that one more time. Uh, what has been your biggest stumbling block on your path and journey up and how did you overcome it? I think it goes back to that whole thing of fear. Fear of unknown what ifs. Or what, you know, what if, what if it doesn't work? What if it doesn't happen? What if I can get this? What if I can get that? Fear of the unknown. That is, that's been my biggest. Um, but it's just always, it, 
it pays to have a very great support system. Or in my case, I didn't have a support system. I didn't have a support system, but I did have a very big cheerleader. And that was my partner. And my thing is, I don't know if he was just as afraid as I was, but he pretended to be strong and courageous and confident to push me. Because I feel mm-hmm. like if he showed that he was fearful, then I really wouldn't step out and do what I need to do. But he'd always say, man, you got this. Oh, that's easy. Oh, sir, Ken, you can do that. And he was pumping me up. I said, oh, I can do this. And, you know? And so it pays to have that type of person in your corner. And I think if I didn't have that, I wouldn't be where I am today. Because I would be so fearful of the unknown. And so that is definitely mine. Fear of the unknown. I love it. All right, cool. Let's make it to the last question. Okay. Follow, you know. What is something that you would like to be left in your legacy time capsule for your work? Ooh. In my legacy time capsule. Right. I'm gonna bury it and it's gonna be there. Ooh, God, that's a good <laughs> one. So I'm trying to figure out if I want it to be like a particular item that I created or I want a story. I want a story. I want that to be my legacy. I want a story, some type of story of something magnificent that I did that changed the world. Um, that if not even changed the world, like changed a huge demographic of people and that change is a change that continues to change even beyond my existence on this earth. I want that to come from a story and that that time capsule like, oh, Sir Ken did such and such. And because he did this, that happened. And now we have this today and it's all because of him. I will want some type of story like that in my time capsule. All right now. That I'm, I made history in this world. I made, I made history, yeah. yeah. I love it. Let the people know where they can find you, where to follow you, and all that good stuff for those out there who's like, who is this man? <laughs> My personal Instagram is I am Sir Ken. It's all um, together I A M S I R K N. And the radio show is the BBC show. Um, it's all put together and our website is thebbcshow.com and my business page for uh, Swanky Paws Concierge is officially Swanky Paws and the website is swanky-paws.com and that is it I think. All my stuff is on my personal page on I am Sir Ken. so if you go to my Instagram at I am Sir Ken, you'll find all the information for all my business stuff too. That's right, y'all. That's where you can find him. That's where he's at. And he's, he's unapproachable. He, he can see this. He can talk to him. Don't be like that. Yes. He just, don't, he, he, just he, yes. he looks like that kind of guy, but he's not. He's a nice guy. I'm not nice at all. And he gives great advice. <laughs> and, you know, he's out here to make change in the world. I can help. So, ladies and yes. gentlemen, without further ado, this has been All the Tea by University TV with your boy, Troy Weeks Music. Another one in, another one down. Hopefully, we'll get so Ken on to the uh, homo talk show, to, you know, give us one, two, yeah, one day. And, uh, I would love in, that. In the, in the homo talk show room. <laughs> I love that. Yes, I sir. Yes, that. sir.